to us, open up your word to us, and I pray that we see more of Jesus here in this place and in our own lives. Thank you for this opportunity. We pray for your Holy Spirit to teach us. We pray that he would uh, anoint us and that he would really just be here to uh, guide and to empower this time. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. 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 If you have your Bibles, we'll open up to John chapter 12. John 12. Uh, if you need a Bible, we have some on the table there. Uh, feel free to grab one of those and use it. Uh, John chapter 12, while you're opening, just a friendly reminder about our uh, service that we have as far as uh, being able to interact and ask questions. Uh, this is mainly for people that aren't here, but... Those of you that are here, if you feel more comfortable doing it this way, or happen you happen to think of something during the week and you just want to get the question out there, you can use uh, SpeakPipe. It's a service that uh, we have so that uh, people can ask questions or make comments and participate in a time of Bible study. Uh, either our podcast listeners or others that are here that happen to listen to the Bible study. So if you'd like to avail yourself of that, it's www.speakpipe.com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. And you can use it like voicemail, click on a button, record your message, and send to us, and we'll do our best to play it and to answer your question or to hear your comment. So... Try to use that if you think of it during the week. John 12, verses 47 and 48. So I'd like to read that for tonight. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. All right, thank you for reading that. How many of you are surprised by verse 47? Kim, you're surprised by that? What's surprising about it? Oh, yeah, it's because he's saying... Person that hears his words but doesn't keep them, he does not judge them. Right. Yeah. Is that kind of weird for you? It's kind of weird, yeah. Okay. Anybody else surprised by that? Have you, can you recall ever reading this or ever thinking about this verse before? No. I mean, you probably read it before, but can you recall ever thinking about it? Yeah. <laughs> What's that? It's kind of weird because judging, like to me, like judging is like, okay, you know right from wrong. So he's saying, I know you did wrong, but I'm not judging. Not going to do it. Well, I think it's interesting because Jesus, Jesus speaking, of course, and he does speak to how disobedience is judged, but it's not by him. And, I, and that's what I think is really interesting about that verse is that Jesus proclaims, he says it in, in clear terms. He's like, well, if you hear my words and you don't do them, He's like, I don't judge you for that. Now, in a, in a really kind of basic way, I want you to think about that for a second. Do we always do what Jesus tells us to do? Well, no, we don't. 
doesn't judge us for that. Which I think is really super interesting. And I think it's something that we should probably begin to integrate into our way of thinking. Is that we're not being judged by Jesus when we fail or when we disregard something that he's told us to do. Now, what that should help us with is being honest with him. That should help us with trusting him. That should help us with drawing nearer to him. And that should help us receiving more and more of his love in our life. Because we don't have any competing interests in that sense. In other words, we're not worried about Jesus somehow uh, turning on us. We're not worried about Jesus somehow being disappointed in us, really. He's not in the business of judging us. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems to make sense because he's the one who's our advocate. He's the one making intercession for us. So why would he be the one judging us if he's trying? Even on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Right. Right. He illustrated this point on the cross verbally. Yeah. And he, he, said, he said that. I mean, here were, here were men that were professional killers. They were executioners. They knew what they were doing. But, in the bigger scheme of things, they didn't know what they were doing. They were following orders. They were doing what they had been trained to do. They were doing what they were told. They were performing a certain thing that they had skill in. Mainly killing people. In the form of executing people by crucifixion. They, they've done it. They know how to do it. And they were doing it. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. They understand the level that he's speaking on. They knew what they were doing physically. They knew what they were doing in following orders. They knew what they were doing in a military sense, that every army uh, person in the military understands that you follow the orders that you're given, and they were doing that. He was talking about something bigger. He was talking about the people who had actually judged him. The people who had actually condemned him. That even when they, he, they had an opportunity, given another opportunity to not condemn him, they did it anyway. And that's who he was speaking about. He's like, they, they condemned me and they had even two opportunities to say no to that and they still chose to condemn me. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So he illustrates it. He gives us that, that illustration. Now, and we're going to get to this in a little while, but Jesus just, his function, and, and I'm talking about his function as he was speaking this in John 12, and his function today, as Rebecca just said, he's our advocate. What's an advocate? What do we, what do we call an advocate in the United States? A lawyer. A lawyer. A lawyer. Right, our defender. Fights for you. All right, so, so yeah, it could be. I mean, it, anyone could be an advocate. In other words, I'm going to defend this person, I'm going to stand up for them, and I'm on their side. And a lawyer, especially, and I, I was thinking about in the court of law, if you take on a, a client and you, you're going to court with that client, it is not your job to judge that person. You understand what I'm saying? It's your job to defend that person. Because that's the role that you've taken in our system of justice, and that's what you need to do. That's, uh, you ever see the show Jack? I used to love that show. And 
uh, and so when I was sick, I was home for I don't know how many weeks straight. I watched reruns of Jags like every day. I couldn't wait for it to come on. I'm like I really like this show. It was Jag, and I watched a Black Sheep Squadron, which I had watched when I was young. Robert Conrad. Yeah, <laughs> Robert Conrad, right? And so I had it on first run. Yeah, I saw it on first run too, but I was watching it again. So anyway, that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about right now. But in Jag, they were lawyers, military lawyers, and some days they were the defense, and some days they were the prosecution, and they would switch, you know, however they were assigned. They were assigned to cases. And so they didn't really choose if they were going to be the prosecutor, if they were going to be the defense. They just functioned in their role within the military justice system. Which always struck me as kind of, well, yeah, that's why there's a system. And then there were either juries or there was a judge or a panel of judges that would actually judge the case. But it wasn't their job to do that. It was their job to represent either the military as a prosecutor or their job to represent their client in defense and they would do that and they would go against their friends. They would go against their, their best friends. One would be the prosecutor, one would be the defense. But they would function within their role. And I don't know if that helps you thinking about Jesus. Because he doesn't, and I'm not saying he doesn't like you, I'm not saying he doesn't think you're the best person on the face of the earth, but that is immaterial to his function in your life. That's what I was trying to get at with that. I don't know if that helps you. Because I think sometimes you think of, it's like, well, I'm offensive. Well, yeah, you might be. You know, I'm rude. Yeah, you might be. I'm not a good friend to Jesus. You might not be. But regardless of that, his role in your life is one of an advocate. And he is on your side, he is defending you, and he is taking care of you. That's what he does. So whatever you think about, whatever you are, or who you are, or, or how he feels about it doesn't matter. Right? And, and it matters for other reasons, but not for what we're talking about tonight. For what we're talking about tonight in his role of who he is in being on your side and taking care of you and looking out for you and going to bat for you and standing up for you, it doesn't matter. He's going to do that. Why? Because that's his function. And he proclaims that here. He says, well, you know, if you don't take heed to what I'm saying, I don't judge you. Why? Because he's on your side. He's taking care of you. He's the advocate. He's going to go to the Father on your behalf. He intercedes for you. We know that Jesus, He lives always to make intercession for us. And He is making intercession for us even now. He is on your side even now. He's looking out for you even now. That's what He does. That's what He does. You know, it's kind of interesting that we look at people and we judge people. We judge people harshly. And we forget that Jesus is their advocate too. We forget that He wants them to know salvation. He wants them to know deliverance and redemption in their life. He wants them to know all of those things. Even people we look at and say, there's no hope for that person. He still wants that for them. And He's still working in their life to see that happen. And it might be through you that he's working in their life to see that happen. And so we have to be really careful looking at 
others and making any kind of judgment. We don't know. We just don't know what's happening. We don't know the big picture. We don't know where it came from. We don't know what's taking place. We have no idea. And so for us to put ourselves in that kind of a position, a position that Jesus Himself chooses not to be in in your life right now, be really careful with that. Because He's declared, I am not going to judge that. Yeah. Even if we did know where their, their whole history and everything, it's still not our place to judge. Well, we don't know. Yeah, but we don't know. You can know someone's history without knowing what their reactions to things were, what decisions they made during those times. You don't know about some inner vows they've made. You don't know about unforgiveness in their heart. You don't know about... I mean, there's all kinds of things you don't know about, though, even if you do know their physical past. Right. So, so it's impossible. It's, it's literally impossible for us to know that kind of information on people. Even hundreds of hours of counseling isn't necessarily going to reveal that. That's true. And Jesus may tell you stuff about that person, or you may get supernatural insight about that person, but you still don't know everything. We know what we need to know in that case. If we get supernatural insight, we know what we need to know to help them, but never to judge them. That's not our job. And, and I know, and I hear, you know, people want to play semantics games with this. They want to play all kinds of games about, you know, justifying judging people. They really do. And people do it all the time. It's like, yeah, well, maybe that, but I'm, I'm inspecting the fruit. Or I'm doing this, or I'm, you know, they play some kind of semantics game with it. And then there's no game to play. Jesus won't do it. Jesus chooses not to do it. It's not our place to do it. It's just not. So, I, I don't know where you go from there. You can play a game with it, you can pretend, you can, you can justify it, but to me, there's nowhere to go with that. Jesus is not doing it. If Jesus has not taken himself out of that equation, he certainly has taken us out of that equation. Certainly. We're out of that. So, his function is different than maybe how you see him. And if that's the case, and I know I've been challenging you a lot with this lately, if his function is actually different than what you see him as, then change your mind. Begin the process of changing your mind and taking a hold of a new idea. I don't care if it's been your idea your whole life. Change your mind, take hold of a new idea. Now he talks about those that hear his words. And that word hear is a neutral word. It doesn't imply belief or unbelief. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you believe his words or you don't believe his words. You understand what I'm saying? Because sometimes people tell you things you don't believe right off the bat. Doesn't mean it's not true. People have, have, have I, I've thought things that people have said, I've thought to myself, wow, yeah, that's a way off base. You know what it turned out to be? Right. It's true. So, so in, in this instance, that hearing my word is just, the word's been given to you, flat out, whether you accept the word and then go against it later or whatever, it doesn't matter either way. Well, you can believe it and not do it. You came to your ear, your eye, right. whatever, and that's it. Right. You can believe it and not do it. You cannot believe it and do it. 
Alright? The, the point of it is, though, is that it doesn't require you to believe it. That's what I'm trying to say. You are not the judge of whatever words you've received. You want to be, we want to be that judge. We want to be able to hear a word and then make a decision whether we want to do it or not, make a decision whether we think it's true or not, make a decision whether or not we believe it. But that's not our place either. Jesus' words to us, we have no point in, in that process of judging those words. We can believe them. We don't believe them. We can think they're true. We can think they're false. It doesn't matter. The word, his word, is still his word, no matter where our take is on it. Doesn't matter. It's just his word. Can I just throw this out there? Sure. But sometimes, I mean, we make decisions in our lives based upon whether or not we believe the validity of a statement, or we believe the validity of something someone tells us. So at some point, we, we do need to... You know, maybe go with our gut on what we feel is true, or not with the words of Jesus. No, no. But people, sure. I mean, we don't have any. We don't have any. We don't have any standard with people. But I mean, if we choose to believe what Christ says, this is going to change our whole life. It changes everything. That's it. Changes how we function. And if we choose not to believe it, our life doesn't change. And, but while we're talking about here is that Jesus isn't going to judge us for not, right? Right. Okay. Right. Yeah, the point is that we're not, we're not making, even making the decision on it based on whether or not we think we're going to be punished. See, that it takes that out of the equation. That's what Jesus is trying to do here. He's taking it out of the equation. It's like there's no, there's, there's no uh, teacher standing over us with a ruler ready to punish us. There's no, uh, it's, it's, there's no principle ready to paddle us or something. You know, I mean, it doesn't exist. So how does this wash with the wood, hay, and stubble that you were talking about yesterday? We'll get there. Okay. Yeah, we're not there right this second. We'll get there. See, it, but but the point I'm trying to make is, and, and this is the idea I want to solidify in us, is that disobedience, you know, that, that idea of hearing His words, in other words, we believe, we don't believe, it doesn't matter. But hearing the words of Jesus and keeping them not, He doesn't judge. Let's mean not to keep His words. We don't observe them. We have no regard for them. We're negligent to them. Whatever. Because, I mean, you can hear the word. You got the whole parable of the seeds, right? And they're scattering the seeds. You can hear the word. You can do it for a little while, but then it doesn't take root, and then you stop. Or it could fall on stony ground and it doesn't take root, you know, or, or birds come and eat it, or it could fall, you know what I mean? It's like, there's that whole parable that tells what can happen to that word, whether you believe it or you don't. Doesn't matter. I believe it, I don't believe it. Doesn't matter. There's the word. And all kinds of stuff can happen to it. But he says, but the bottom line is, if you hear his words and you keep them not... You're not judged by Jesus. And get, just let that sink into your head. Let that sink into your spirit. Let that sink into the deep places, right into your gut. Let it sink in there, right into your belly. Right into the deep places of us. 
I mean, Jesus proclaimed, if you've seen me, you've seen who? The Father. The Father. So, in the same way that the people he was speaking to, they, they had hopefully learned to obey and love and trust the Father, that that was the work that was being done in them with Jesus. That's what he was looking for. Is that they, they had had this concept of God that had existed for however long they've existed, before the people of Israel existed for sure, before Abraham existed. And they had this concept of who God is, and they had learned to obey Him to a fault in some ways, and they had learned to justify their disobedience. They learned to love Him in a lot of ways. They learned to serve Him in a lot of ways. They learned to trust Him in a lot of ways. And so what Jesus was saying is, uh, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In other words, obey Jesus, obey, trust in Him, love Him. And that's what He was saying through that. And so the expectation here is that we hear His words and we actually keep them. We actually do that. So we're given a choice. The choice is, are you going to keep His Word or not? And like I said, that can look a lot different in each of our lives. In other words, it could be, we keep it for a little while, then we lose it, we, we keep it, or we think it's a good idea, but we never do anything about it, or whatever. It could be a lot of ways. But we're either going to keep His Word or we're not going to keep His Word, but it's a choice that we have. And, and so Jesus says, I judge Him not. And understand, that was not Jesus' purpose. And it is not Jesus' purpose to condemn. Let's read Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, uh, so uh, I want to bring that verse out to say that we're still under the same deal with Jesus right now. Because when is that verse talking about? What time frame? Right now. Now. Right, the present. So there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right now. So this is the, the moment that we're talking about. This is the moment... That, that we're in. And so in this moment, let's get back to the idea of choice. Somebody look at John 3.18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. All right. Here's a choice. You ready for your choice? There's a choice in 318. You believe, but this is alright. You don't believe, then you're condemned. Why? Who condemned you? Self. Self. Self is the problem. Right, we're not really looking at, oh, there's somebody gonna be mean to us. We're not looking at, oh, somebody's keeping us in line. We're not looking at, like, we're not living that way. That's not what things are. That is not what things are. 
We've been called into a freedom. And freedom is by definition choice. That's what freedom is. Lack of choice, in other words, somebody telling you what to do, a lack of choice is slavery. But we've been called out of slavery into freedom, meaning that we have choices to make. You have choices to make. I have choices to make. And because we have choices to make, we can sometimes make a great choice, and we sometimes make a not-so-great choice. But there's no condemnation. Because we are in a process of learning what it is to live freely. You are in that process right now. I am in that process right now of what that really means. God created Adam free. He was free. And as he lived in that garden, before he lived in the garden, once he moved into the garden, he lived freely. That was his choice. The problem was he made a bad choice, didn't he? And so we're in a training program. Adam 2. Alright? Garden of Eden 2, whatever you want to call it. But we are in a training process whereby we're learning to live freely. And in order to do that, we're going to make mistakes, we're going to learn from them, hopefully, and we're going to grow, and we're not going to make that same mistake again. And then we're going to keep going, and we're going to keep going, and we're going to keep going, hopefully learning, growing, becoming, maturing, whatever it is you want to talk about. But that's a process that God has us in right now. It's a good place to be. He's got big plans. I don't even know what His plans are. They're just big. Because He's big. I know they're big. They're big. And, and his, his plans for you and, and His purposes for you, both here and in the hereafter, whatever that is. I mean, my Bible says that He puts us in charge of stuff. He's training us right now. He's training us to live freely. I read a statistic. I don't remember where it was, but it was talking about current generation, uh, and I forget what the percentage is, I think it was somewhere around 40% would prefer to live in a socialist society. And you know what socialism is? It's lack of freedom. It's lack of choice. And it's slavery. Sorry. And I don't want, I'm not getting political or anything else. I've studied these things as most people have and before the great brainwashing of our colleges and universities <laughs> everybody knew and understood that socialism and communism is slavery that's why countries that were socialist and communist built big walls to hold their people in and to keep them in those countries because if they didn't have those big walls those people would have left they were being held against their will and forced to work. That is, by all definition, slavery. Not into it. I'm not into it. And I guess I, I was born in a good time frame where 
I wasn't brainwashed about it. Not brainwashed, not fooled, not confused. I understand what it is. But people love it, at least some people do, who want people to tell them what to do. They want government to tell them what to do and how to live and, and how to take care of themselves and how to take care of their families and how to educate their children and how to do all those kind of things that are not freedom, are not choices, are not maturity. There's not. They're childlike. They're the mommy and daddy take care of me for the rest of my life attitude that... Hopefully, God is doing something in you that's raising you beyond that to give you an opportunity to mature and become the person He wants you to be. And that's going to be in freedom if it's going to happen at all. So what about the future with Jesus? I mean, way in the future. Not right now. Not when we're reading this in the Gospels, the way he did. Uh, John 9, 39, somebody want to read that? Kind of an interesting verse. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Right, and what's he saying there? You see, he's not, you can say he's contradicting what he says. In chapter 12, but what's he really saying in chapter 9? What does he describe as, when he says, for judgment I came into the world, what's the judgment? What was the judgment? Spiritual blindness. For who? For us or an individual. Huh? Us or an individual. Well, it could be. But who's he talking about in that? Pharisees. Scribes. He's talking about people that don't want anything to do with it. He's saying there's going to be people that see it, there's going to be people that don't see. And he is the, kind of the fulcrum, he's the point where that teetering is going to take place. Alright, you follow what I'm saying? That, that he's the focal point of that statement. In other words, people are going to look at him and there's going to be some people that are going to believe in him and they're going to be able to see but there's going to be other people who are going to look at him, they're going to reject him, and they're not going to be able to see. And part of his purpose in coming into the world was to be that focal point, was to be that spot where everything was going to hinge. You know, people want to say, oh, there's many ways. There's not many ways. She says, I am the way, the truth. He's the life. There is the many ways. He's the focal point. He's it. He's the bottom line. He's all there is to it. And it will hinge on Him. All of eternity hinges on Him. All of it. And it doesn't matter where the person was brought up in a certain uh, discipline or a certain religion or a certain way of looking at the world, a certain philosophy, a certain worldview. doesn't matter. He's still the focal point. And it's all hinging on Him. And I know that's not a popular thought, but it is what it is. And so, he's going to be that point in people's lives, where they look at him. And they're going to make their decisions, they're going to make their, whatever they're going to do on that. For us, we're, he's speaking to us. We're going to make our decisions on that. It comes down to that decision. We have the freedom. For other people, they're going to see Jesus, they're going to make their decision. 
Every time you do evangelism, you see people doing that in some way or another. And they're going to make that decision. And whether or not they're going to look at it and they're going to say, yeah, I want some of that. And they're going to look at him and they're going to say, no, I don't. But that's their decision. It's their freedom. And they're exercising that freedom and it's awesome. So how can Jesus say, well, I, I don't condemn them and I don't judge them? Why? How can he say he doesn't judge him if it's all focused on him and it's, and it's just on him? What does he say he judges him? The words themselves. All right. And this is the point I want to get to. Those who are perishing, see, he's our Redeemer, he's our Savior. He comes to save and to give opportunity for every single person that wants to, to believe in him. Every single person. He wants none should perish, but all should come to repentance. That's his will. That's his absolute concrete will. And that's what he wants. But he's not going to violate their freedom. He's not going to violate their liberty. It goes against what he's trying to foster in us to do that. And he won't. He didn't create us to be robots. He didn't create us to be told what to do all the time. He created us to, to, to live and to think and to make choices. To learn what it is to live freely and to be free in our own lives. So he comes to save. Meaning he gives us the opportunity. Salvation is there. There's no one that I know of on the face of the earth that can't turn to Jesus and be saved. He's that focal point. And some are going to see Him and they're going to turn to Him and they're going to be saved. And some are going to look at Him and they're going to have the opportunity for it and they're going to go the other way. And they'll be given another opportunity. And they'll be given another opportunity. And they'll make their decisions individually every single time they do that. But His business and what He's working toward right now is that they might be saved, that they might not perish. And He gives them a means and He gives them an example and He shows them the way. And then He sends us to do the same. Right? And some of that, what He's doing, He's doing through us. That's what He does. I read a statement about this verse and you might think it's a harsh statement, but I want you to think about this for a second. Those who perish... After Jesus is their advocate, after Jesus is on their side, after Jesus is working for their benefit, after Jesus is revealing Himself to them, after Jesus is putting His Word into their life, after Jesus is showing Himself as the light, the way, and the truth, after He's doing all of those things, those who perish, their blood is on their own heads. Can we believe that? Yeah. yeah. And if you've ever tried to help somebody... And I want you to think about it. This happens in our own life. You've ever tried to help somebody? I mean, you went to the map to help somebody. I mean, you personal sacrifice, time, effort, money, whatever it was, and they still chose destruction. That's what freedom is. That's what freedom is. Because you can't make somebody do it. And Jesus isn't going to make us do anything. It's not His expectation for who we are. It's not His expectation for our lives. It's not His expectation for, for how He created us. That's so backwards and weird to think like that. Because that's not how it is. We may need to change our mind about that. 
So he gives us his spoken word. The words themselves, that, the, that word there means sayings. In a sense, it's a dynamic word though. It's him speaking. And you see, speaking is a dynamic thing. It's a dynamic medium. That when someone's speaking, and I'm not talking about on tape or, or on video or is scripted kind of speaking. But when someone is speaking, especially in a live situation, there's a dynamic going on there. Whether or not you're talking, you're still interacting in some way or another. And I, I've spoken in front of people thousands of times. And I can tell when I'm engaging with people, when people are engaging with me, I can tell. When they're not, they're not. I, I don't even care anymore. And I don't know that I did for really a long time anyhow. Because I learned way, way, way back that that's not what I'm doing. I'm not a motivational speaker. I'm not trying to sell you anything. You're here because you want to be, hopefully. And you'll receive what you'll receive. And you'll respond and do whatever it is you're going to do. I can't make any of that happen. I can make it easier. I can make it more interesting. I can help along the way. I can try. But I, I can't make any of it happen. I can only help out if you choose to do something. So his words, his sayings, that's dynamic. He's speaking. It's not a book you're reading. That's not what that's talking about. His words, his sayings are for you. And he's speaking to us. Can he speak through the scriptures? Sure. But it's a dynamic. They're not dead words on page. Can he speak to you in prayer? Yeah. Can he speak to you through a song? Yeah. Can he speak to you through a person? Of course. All those ways. They're all dynamic. Can he speak to you through the radio? Yes. It's a dynamic that's going on between you and him. But it says that if we hear his words and we keep them not, that, that keep them not, that word is, is a, a word that is nullified. And nullify them. What's to, to make null? Anybody want to know what null is? Void. It's not void. Zero, it is. Zero actually holds a place, so, yeah. Yeah, it's nothing. It's not even zero. Yeah, it's not even zero. It's nothing. It's like vacuum. Well, a vacuum. This is kind of an interesting thought, but a vacuum implies the absence of something. Yeah. Nothing is nothing. So that's like going into the negative. It would be like the negative number as opposed to a positive number. Right, but the negative number can only exist because positive numbers exist. <laughs> and you can graph them. That's the only reason they exist. So... Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking a musical interlude would be great. Right <laughs> All right, so a couple of verses we'll look up. Luke's, uh, Luke 10, 16. And Mark 16, 16. Luke 10, 16, Mark 16, 16. 
Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. Alright, and so a lot of rejection going on. Alright? <laughs> but what he's doing is he's just drawing a straight line, in a sense, of what's actually going on. That when we reject, when we, whatever you want to describe it as nullify, and that word reject, also another translation of that word reject is to despise. So whenever you reject, despise, or nullify, however you want to see that, Jesus, or his saying, you're rejecting it all. We just do that. We're not judged for it. We just need to understand how it works. And by, by saying that, I'm not talking about just in your life you just messed up today. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about, oh, God told me to talk to that person and I couldn't be bothered. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the little things that happen, the little training things, God's teaching us to be obedient and live in freedom. I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about the big things in our life. I'm talking about the person that we know that just has just turned us back. That's what I'm talking about. And you know what? You know what's kind of interesting about that? Is we can talk about rejects, despises, and nullifies. Jesus is still praying for them, and Jesus is still on their side, and he's an advocate for them. I mean, it's just awesome. Forgive them, they know not what they do. Right. He's still, he's still working on their behalf. He's still giving them examples and, and a path, a clear path to salvation. He's still wills that they should not perish but have everlasting life come to repentance all that that's what he still wants for them and he's still pushing for it and he's still pulling for them and he's still on their side doing that how much more is he on your side and you you, and you can't see Jesus that it, it's impossible to see him oh he doesn't like me he loves you and he likes you it's so impossible it's so impossible to understand the gospel and think that Jesus doesn't like you. It really is. With any kind of understanding of what he's proclaimed, any kind of understanding of what he said, any kind of an understanding of his role in our lives right now, it's impossible to believe he doesn't like you. Because he does. And whether or not, again, as I said in the beginning, you can fully accept that right now. Fully accept this. He's working on your behalf. And he's doing everything he can for you. Because even in the most basic sense of his role in your life, he's going to do that. Regardless of how you think he feels about you. I have a question. Yeah. Then why are we supposed to fear him? What's that? Then why, are we, then why do we fear him? Fear who? Like it says, no, that's a good. That's a good question. Why? But why are you? Um, where or what context are you referring to? Is guess what I'm trying to get to. I don't know. I've just heard it. Like fear the Lord. Okay, and what does that mean to you, though? I 
it always meant to me to obey him or things don't go well for you. Well, that may be true, but why does that produce fear? <laughs> Psalms, it talks about the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is the... Hmm? It produces wisdom in us. Uh, fear of the Lord is the hatred of sin. Right? What? It's the beginning of wisdom. Producing wisdom. It's the hatred of sin. So as it's described in the Psalms and in Proverbs, we begin to get a definition of what the fear of the Lord is. That we hate sin that we are looking for wisdom to grow in our lives. The word fear is kind of a weird word for us because we associate fear with negative connotations, but fear in the sense that is used in the Old Testament often speaks of respect and honor. And so what that's saying is that respecting and honoring God is the beginning of wisdom in your life. It has to produce wisdom in your life. Respecting and honoring God means that you hate sin. Meaning in you. You're going to hate the sin in you. So fear doesn't mean to be afraid in that sense. Right. You like to be afraid. Right. It's respect. And, uh, and like, like in uh, an it's awesome re- respect. Right. It's recognizing him for who he is. Yeah. That he is not us. In other words, God is not me. And so he is who he is. He's big. He's powerful. He's creator of everything. He's Lord of the whole universe. That's just recognizing who he is. I think Jonathan Edwards knew how to make his congregations afraid of God. Well, yeah. I don't know how effective that was in life change, but he certainly did. (laughs) Sinners in the hand of the angry God, yeah. Good one. (laughs) The way way I see see it uh, lately is, you fear God because he is the most powerful thing. And if it was his will, everything could be non-existent in an instant. And so you have that respect, that kind of a fear of him, right? But yet, he loves us. Well, which is, which is true. Which, is, you know, which one is true? They're both true. Well, how can it be? What do you mean? Well, does the world blind out of existence? No, because... because What's he doing then? Because he loves us. Okay, so what do you need to major on? The love. Period. See, this is what I'm trying... Alright, I want to say this. Jesus said, you've seen him. Who have you seen? The Father. The Father. We've made up more about the Father in our minds and in our hearts, in our Sunday school classes then we ever need to make up anything else again. You want to know who the Father is, look at Jesus. And who's Jesus? He's on your side, and He's pulling for you, and He's sacrificing for you, and He is, on your behalf, making sure, in every way possible, without violating your freedom, that you're growing and becoming the person God wants you to be. That's the truth. 
And what you need to understand about the Father is contained in that. What I need to understand about the Father is contained in that. There, there's always this pull in us that we want to see things from God's perspective. And it's impossible. We cannot live in God's perspective. And by that I mean His universal perspective. Yeah, it'd be like saying that a photograph of me can see things the way I see things. Right. And the the issue then becomes in how you're going to live your life. I mean, you want to look at it from God's perspective, and so in our minds we make up, well, God can just destroy everything right now and do what He wants. Well, He doesn't. And so our perspective has to come from, our daily perspective has to come from who is God revealed to us through Jesus? Who is He? He is our advocate. He's on our side. He loves us. And that's it. That's how we have to live. So, for some reason I'm making a connection here because I was I was talking to God and I said, really, what's wrong with me and why am I not, why am I stuck? And He said, you spent your whole life figuring out what right and wrong was. And that has nothing to do with who I am. Right. He goes, that was the mistake in the garden. He goes, you got to unlearn right and wrong. Yeah, yeah I, I fully believe that. And you know, that's been kind of a, like, so I've been teaching for you know, 25 years or so. And, and it's something I really believe. And I'm not afraid of it. I'm, I'm just not afraid of it. And I've seen people get free from it, and, and they, they, they understand freedom in their life. Yeah. yeah. We want that. We want it. You want it. Everybody wants it. You can't be afraid to get it. You just can't. And, and that's part of learning or unlearning ourselves into the place where God made us. Because we're going to keep making stuff up or we're not. And it's time to stop making stuff up. And we do it all the time. There's no reason to. We have plenty of understanding through the scriptures of who God is. Plenty. And, and I hope you're noticing as, I, as I'm going through the Old Testament in, on Sundays, I'm bringing it out that there's nothing new under the sun. I'm not trying to, to remake something. I'm not trying to convince you of something that's only in the New Testament. Because it's not. It's all through the Scriptures. It's how God revealed Himself. It's just coming at the Scriptures from that perspective. What perspective? The perspective that God gives us. Through Jesus. Everything has to be seen through Jesus. You've seen me. You've seen the Father. How are we going to understand the Father? Through Jesus. Everything hinges on the Gospels. Everything. Understanding the Old Testament hinges on the Gospels. It doesn't hinge on knowing Hebrew. It hinges on the Gospel. It hinges on understanding who Jesus is. And then seeing that back into how God revealed Himself. And how God showed Himself. And the words of the prophets and the direction that the prophets gave people. Even through Moses and even through the Old Testament law. And seeing how all of that began to pull us to primitive faith. Of those that were there before the law was even given through the patriarchs and those that came before them. And see how all of that leads to the gospel, leads to where Jesus is and understanding that we're going to understand that, we're going to understand it through him. And I say the same thing for the epistles. There's nothing in the epistles 
that's going to tell me something different than what Jesus told me. Nothing. Zero. Whatever Jesus is saying in the Gospels, that's going to tell me what the epistles are saying. Not the other way around. And people make that mistake all the time. Churches are built on the epistles instead of the gospel. And it gets pretty messed up and pretty mean quick. Because people will take the epistles and just be mean to each other and judge each other. And that's not why they're there. They illuminate Christ. They illuminate who He is. And in some cases, they bring a practicality of Jesus into a local setting. But they can't contradict what Jesus has said. Okay, Mark 16, 16. I didn't forget. Mm -hmm. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Alright. So again, there's a nullification taking place there. And, and all I'm trying to say through this is, is to help your understanding of how things are going here. And your understanding of how things are going here is this, that you have choices. I have choices. And it's not Jesus that's judging our choices. And that's what I want you to understand. He's given us the words of life. If you hang on to those words, guess what you get? Life. He's given them to us. They're right there. We, they're, they're, for the, they're ours. It's like the tree of life has been set right in the middle. And we can go eat of that tree anytime we like. Because we've been given the words of life. So if we eat of those words, we partake of those words, we're going to live. We're going to live forever. We're going to take hold of that tree and we're going to live forever. That's our choice. That's our choice. What's our other choice? Nullify it. No, it's a good evil. And then what happens? What happens when you nullify that? You judge everything. You just... You judge yourself. Yeah. You condemn yourself. Yeah, those words, those very words, they're the judge. So... So, live in your freedom. And this is what I want to kind of end with tonight, is that we need to live in our freedom, our liberty, and learn what it is to grow in that. And you're going to make mistakes? That's all right. Jesus isn't judging you for that. Get up, try it again, learn from your mistakes. Move on to the next thing. Make a mistake. All right. Learn from that. Didn't learn that one. Did it again. Oh, didn't learn that one. Did it again. Okay, I learned it this time. Not going to do that. All right, move on to the next thing. Do you understand the process? Is that not an organic process in our lives for everything? That we weren't born perfect? That we had to make mistakes? And, and I mean, how'd you learn how to walk? You don't remember, but you, can you guess? Did you get up and dance and jig? <laughs> no but it's such an organic process that we fall down we get back up again we, we trip, we get back up, we lose our balance fall on our diaper butt and we get back up again that's the way it goes 
And then, you know, then as we get older, we try new things. You know, like we might learn how to skip or something, or we might learn how to do something like that. You know, and then we might fall the first time, and then, then we can do it after that, and then we learn new skills, and whatever. You know, it's not like when we fell, our parents said, well, that's it, you're never walking now. <laughs> Forget it. You're terrible. <laughs> you're a terrible walker. Give it up. No. Get on up and try again. You learn to ride a bike. You ever fall on a bike? I have. Learned to ride a motorcycle. I rode motocross when I was like 10 years old. I used to fall all the time. I broke my motorcycle over and over again. I had to be welded all the time. Yeah. Learned how to do it. A few bumps and bruises along the way. Just a few. Yeah. Concussions or whatever, but I learned. Missing teeth. <laughs> yeah. Put back in there. Oh. So, if you're following what I'm saying, we're in an organic process, we're in a creative process. Whatever is standing in the way of you just living that, you need to change your mind. Kind of like what, uh, and Nikki, I appreciate you bringing that up because other people were thinking that. And they're probably still thinking that. And the issue is, does that get in the way of hearing what Jesus is saying tonight? Yes. Then you need to change your mind about it. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. Does that sound like the same Father you were talking about? Not to me. Then you change your minds. Any other questions or comments? Yeah. Well, I think um, it kind of falls into... You know, rock of defense, a stone of stumbling, and it's better to fall on the rock and be broken than to have the rock fall on you and be broken. So it's kind of like if you believe that you've seen the Father and then you know His heart and you know His nature, but if you see and you don't believe, it's a whole new ballgame. Right. I mean, what's our life left to our own devices? And, and so that's what I said. What you said may be true. Maybe we don't obey and we just do what we want to do. Well, that kind of takes care of itself, doesn't it? It's not, I don't see anything supernatural about that. I just think it just takes care of itself. And there can be supernatural stuff involved in that. But it's just taking care of itself that we live in chaos. We live in confusion. We, we, we go by our own ideas and a lot of them are bad. And we face the consequences of that. I mean, it's just... It takes care of itself. And the, the issue becomes, are we going to learn from that and get ourselves back right with what God has for us? Or are we just going to continue living in rebellion or living in disobedience? Nullifying what God has. God has great things for us. Are we going to nullify them? By doing what we want to do? He's not judging us. He just is what it is. So with the picture of Job in the beginning of Job where Satan is before God and he's like accusing mm-hmm. and, he, and God's like, no, look at my servant Job. So if we believe, if we drew a picture, can we believe that Satan's constantly saying, oh, that person sucks and you really should consider just getting him off the face of the earth and then Jesus is there like, no, Dad, we took care of that. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's accusing the brethren. 
Yeah. He makes accusation. All the time. To us, too. Right? And they're not necessarily false accusations. Well, not all the time, for sure. <clears throat> but whatever, I mean, I don't, I don't, I agree with my accuser. Because I can. I'm covered. He, he doesn't really accuse me of much. I don't get condemned a lot. Because I just, he wants to say that about me? Whatever. Jesus loves me, and is looking out for me, wants the best for me, and he's on my side. I know that. So what's the accusation going to be? True or not? What's it going to be? So. You can take that hammer right out of the devil's hand. By, by just understanding who Jesus is in your life. Take that hammer right out of his hand. Nope. <laughs> Alright, let's pray. Uh, thanks God. Uh, I just want to say thanks Jesus for revealing the Father to us. And I thank you for revealing his heart. And for the love that you pour out into our lives every single day, I thank you that you're God on our side. You're God that is making intercession for us. You're God that is on, really looking out for us. A God who has brought all that is necessary for us to live freely, to be saved, to know you, to live in relationship with you, to abide with you. Thanks. And Jesus, we recognize our shortcomings tonight. We recognize our failures. And I just say thanks that you love us. I say thanks that you're not sitting there ready to judge us. I say thanks that you're still on our side. You're still working on our behalf. No matter what our decisions are. And so I thank you for that. And I thank you for just the, the love and the faithfulness that you show us all the time. I pray, God, that as we learn to live freely, that we would learn from our mistakes, and we learn to make better decisions, we learn to trust you more, we learn to love you more, we find more joy in our lives, more joy in serving you, more joy in obedience. You love us. We thank you for that love tonight. Thank you for the freedom. We thank you for the liberty. Pray that you would just continue to teach us to be the people that you've really created us to be as you prepare us for whatever lies ahead. I give you thanks tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Good Saturday night. Thanks for coming. And we'll see you next time.